Good evening and welcome into another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Andrew Shopdall, C70. It's about at C70 on Twitter with me this week is Alex Tristafoli from Birds on the Black and A. Alex Card 79 on Twitter. Uh, Alex, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well. Good. That was a fun game today. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. I would think so. Uh, I missed watching it, unfortunately, which probably means that's why they did so well. Well, it had that feel early on of one of those games where you weren't going to feel safe with like a two-run mm-hmm. lead, and you, you felt like the final score was going to be something like thirteen to eleven. Yeah, uh, n- not unlike that game, the third game of that uh, famous series from September two thousand nineteen in Wrigley. Um, what's the yeah. final score of that game? Like ten nine or something? Yeah, Whatever. nine eight. Like nine, eight. Uh, nine eight. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but then. Uh, Gosh, Gorman hits a three-run homer. Like, oh, no, no, no. I see what's happening here. We're just going to destroy them this afternoon. So that's that's much better. Yeah, that, that is. Yeah, I was uh, – my son was doing something I had to go to, and so I had the, the notifications up, and I, I see, oh, Cubs get her. Oh, we tied it. Oh, oh, we took the lead. Oh, wait, there's another notification. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, I agree. I thought it was – it's going to be one of those Wrigley games that's going to wind up, you know, so crazy. But then all of a sudden – you know, five runs in the fourth inning or something like that and, and putting on some more later on. Uh, was it just me or was there a little bit of extra glee? I don't, maybe that's not the right word, but uh, for uh, putting all those runs up on Stroman. Hmm. You know, I didn't really think about it at the time. I guess now that you ask me, I think there's always some glee in the hopes that a, f- a free agent, the Cubs sign will mm-hmm. not work out, <laughs> I, I guess. And that that's been, he was their big free agent signing of the off season. And speaking of which, and I, I feel bad saying this because he was such a, uh, that one season we had with the Cardinals, he was an important player and he's had still a very good career, albeit a very weird career. But have you looked at Jason Hayward's, stats this season i have not looked at them but i know the last couple of years have been less than ideal okay well let me see like because i looked at it halfway through the game and he was hitting something like he was hitting 203 276 on base 253 slugging for like a 52 wrc plus um Mm -hmm. and the two at bats i saw from him were, were kind of those patented slow rolling grounders to the second baseman um, that we have seen a a lot from him. And 
man, I, I I've never been so wrong about a player. <laughs> I don't think than I was yeah. about Jason Hayward in terms of how how much I wanted the Cardinals to sign him and when he signed with the Cubs that afternoon, it felt like some sort of like Greek tragedy or something. <laughs> and I, I don't think this is certainly the only reason. It's definitely not the only reason, but you have to think that factors into the calculus of why they didn't maybe try and sign a Bryce Harper a couple seasons later and why they maybe started the rebuild earlier than they thought they would. Yep. Yeah, because that that contract was it was huge, and yeah, I pulled up his baseball reference line here just to see what he has done just in his days in Chicago, and his OPS plus, you know, and that's not counting today's, but his OPS plus is eighty six over that seven years. Um, that's not what the Cubs thought they were getting. Now, I mean, obviously, there's the defensive part of that, and the apparently legendary speech in the world series which may have made it all worthwhile um but yeah i agree i was writing posts and articles about how they could you know the cardinals could go out and spend all this money and it'd be worth it and you know obviously he's going to be can just continue to get better but you know the year that we saw in st louis easily the best year since then uh you know maybe if you take that 20 short in 2020 year but uh, honestly, one of his best years ever. Um, and surprisingly enough, Mo, I don't know that he meant to. It's kind of one of those things. We've talked about this before, right? With Albert Pujols, with Jason Hayward. Um, I feel like maybe with even David Price, sometimes saved by other teams um, from making mm-hmm. a big mistake. And that seems to be the case here. Chicago you know, came over the top and, you know, Jason Hayward liked their young core, which uh, <laughs> all left. Um, and you know, you're right. I you don't I don't want to really pile on the guy, but you know, he did make this choice and he got a ring out of it. So maybe it's all worth it. And, and to be fair, it, I don't know if he would have come back to the Cardinals had the Cubs not even come in with that offer. It, it sounds like he was maybe ready to not be in St. Louis, although yeah. I, I don't know that for sure. And the thing about a player like Jason Hayward, um, at least earlier in his Cubs, I, I guess, tenure is like similar to like Harrison Bader or Tyler O'Neill. Um, when they're not hitting, there's still value there. Mm-hmm. At least that's that's what it was for Hayward early on with the Cubs. Uh, it's it's not like a a Brandon Moss situation where do you remember that just awful slump yeah. Moss yeah. had to Ooh. end his time with the Cardinals and like like buddy, if you're not hitting. You have no, you bring nothing to the table. Um, you know, Jason Hayward's not like that. <laughs> right. Like, you know, Jason Hayward's not like that. You know, Tyler O'Neill, you know, you know, Tyler O'Neill's not hitting. He's still a great mm-hmm. base runner, still plays good defense, you know, all of that. Um, that's who Jason Hayward was for a while. But, you know, now it seems like the defense is starting to slip. And so um, still has a year left uh, after after this season, I'm curious what's going to end up happening if, if they are just going to cut them loose. Um, I'm also curious why I decided we needed to talk about Jason Hayward for the first uh, 10 minutes of, yeah. of this show, but it, it just kind of is where the, uh, the stream led us, I guess. That's right. We are definitely a stream of consciousness, no planning ahead of time. <laughs> that, so, that is true. That, in fact, it, it, 
it, it boggles my mind that you still invite me on thinking I have anything good to say. I mean, I, it, I you know, I'm just now like a, an insufferable member of like Twitter where I just like tweet things about biking and like dangerous cars, you know, to the point that I'm like shedding followers. So like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm probably like just damaging your baseball brand by having me here. So well, I, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, but the, the, the joke is I don't have a baseball brand to damage, so you're fine. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, you know, and, and you and I, you know, I, the, I, I hate to put you in this group, but the old guys of Twitter, um, you know, we have to stick together to some degree. Um, oh, and, and, I, but believe um, me, I, I know I'm in that group. You don't, you don't, you're not offending me at all. Um, but you know, before, I do want to, before we leave Hayward, though, when he, when he retired, it, you know, say 10 years from now, when you think of Jason Hayward, what uniform are you going to think about him in? I, it's got to be the Cubs, right? It's it's probably going to be the uniform he's going to spend his most his most time in. Um, I mean, for sure. It's going to be where he won the World Series. Um, it's not going to be where he played his best baseball. That would be Atlanta. Right. But I think it's going to be the Cubs. And maybe that's also because after the Cardinals, the team I pay the closest attention to is probably the Cubs uh, for several reasons. One, they're in our division, so we see them a lot. And two, they're our rival. So, uh, you know, we, we keep our eyes close on them. Um, so, yeah, I think I would say the Cubs. What about you? See, that's what I think, because sometimes I forget that he's on the Cubs now, um, you know, unless I actually actively think about it, um, especially with – all those pieces being stripped out, you kind of think, oh, I don't know anybody on the Cubs except Ian Happ, who's going to hit 15 home runs this weekend. Um, but yeah, probably, I think maybe I'll still maybe initially think the Braves just because that's my first impression of him was with the Braves. Um, and I mean, there's always that, hey, he was a Cardinal, so I always think of the Cardinals. But yeah, I mean, obviously he's, he's seven years, if he plays next year, eight years with the Cubs as long as anybody any other place that he's played. So you would think that, and I think most people would, but for me, I I don't know Um, because I haven't followed the rosters as much. I do tend to forget about him sometimes, which is sad because, you know, it's like I said, we, we had this whole, you know, fiery, you know, passion to keep him. And then as soon as he went to Chicago, after we got over that, it was like, Oh, okay. Cause we got all these new out. We got 18 other outfielders we have to try to figure out. So maybe that's, maybe that's why. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, yeah. Off, uh, off of that tangent, but we do, we do, you know, see the, the Cardinals go out and, and beat up on the Cubs today. Not so much last night. Um, Libertor struggles a little bit, putting uh, what they gave up, what, three home runs, I think, in his time. And then the bullpen didn't help him out. Um, it's got to be a tough for a rookie to go into Wrigley Field and pitch, right? I mean, it just has to be like one of the hardest places to play. Do you mean because of just like the mystique, the what the climate can be like there sometimes with the wind, uh, yeah. uh, the rivalry, all of that? I think it's all that, um, especially the you know the, especially when you're coming up as a cardinal and it's used to like the Grand Canyon that is Bush to go play in Chicago, especially if the wind is at all blowing out, it's got to feel like a bandbox. And then yeah, then you add on the rivalry, then you add on 
the mystique of playing in Wrigley, it's, it's gotta be hard, especially your first time to focus a little bit. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I was kind of in and out of the game on Thursday night. So I wasn't able to just sit down and, and watch for two straight hours or anything like that. An impression I was getting from listening to Danny Mac talk, but mostly from Twitter is people were saying like, he looks like he could still use a little more seasoning in the minors. Um, unfortunately, like we really need him right now because of injury situations and stuff like that. I, I don't know if that's 100% valid. Uh, I, I would hope that he is ready to be here for not necessarily the long haul, but if he's up and throwing pitches in the majors, it's because he's ready. The few times I've seen him, I thought he looked pretty sharp. Um, and I, I'm sure like you, I, I never put too high of expectation, especially on a rookie pitcher like this. Um, that said, is this the best season we've ever had of multiple Cardinal prospects? I mean, obviously we're not having, we don't have like a 2001 Albert Pujols in the Mm. mix, but when you talk about all of these new guys, when was the last time we had something that sort of matched this with the Gorman and, uh, you know, Liberatory and Donovan, um, who am I missing? I know I'm missing. Oh, Juan yep. Yepes. Um, yeah. Yepes is your big one. And, um, you know, Kramer Robinson made a debut. Zach Thompson made his debut today. Mm-hmm. Um, who well, there's, there's nine of them already this year. So, um, I think, I feel like there's a couple years ago we had another year where we had a number of people make their debuts, but I don't think they were as highly touted as the Gormans and the Libertors and Thompsons and Yepes, you know, those kind of guys that you've been looking for. It was like, you know, Tommy Edmond, which, okay, Tommy Edmond has come up and been very productive, but he wasn't anybody that people were just clamoring to see, right? And I think there was a year, and I have to look it up, but I feel like there was a year in the last few four or five that there was a number of lower level filler type. I hate to say it that way, but you know what I'm saying. Um, This is when you combine quantity and quality, I can't imagine that there's been a year like this, Um, especially not in the first two months. Right. Exactly. Not by the, by June 2nd or June 3rd. Um, You know, usually that's when you're looking at, a season where, you know, back when the expanded rosters meant something that you might have them scattered out throughout the year. And then two or three of them come up in um, September uh, to have that many come up. And and the fact is they've had that many come up in that younger time and they're still in contention. They're not falling apart. Right. Uh, you're talking about the team. Right. 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 And the players too, but yeah, the team isn't like, you know, it's not like it's a last place team and they're just bringing up everybody just because they're starting to rebuild. They're competing with all these young guys. Absolutely. It's, it's not a, like the, the ship is sinking. So we're just doing whatever we can to like keep their heads above water. Uh, they are, are playing very good baseball right now. You know, for a while people were very concerned about the offense and I, I think that was overblown at the time, and now it's not even really feels like a factor. Uh, the mm-hmm. offense has been really good this past month. And one thing I've noticed about this team, um, and I'm curious if you've noticed this too, is 
I'm not sure I remember a season where recency bias from the game we all just watched really influences how we feel about the team at the moment. And and what I mean by that is anytime the Cardinals lose a game, you see it on Twitter, but also I kind of feel this way too. It's kind of like, well, this is the team, you know, the DeWitts wanted, you know, they wanted a team that's going to just barely, you know, win 80, 85 games and, you know, squeak into the playoffs, um, whatever. Um, and then the next night they, you know, win a game like they won today. And the ceiling feels like it really could be win a hundred games <laughs> or something like that. Uh, and, you know, I don't think that's uncommon. I don't think that that's too uncommon for baseball or especially sports in general, but usually for a sport like baseball, where there are that many games, I don't quite feel that way. Uh, after each win and loss, after each you know victory and after each loss, and, and, unless I'm just totally forgetting how baseball works and how I usually feel, this season really feels like there's a lot of recency bias based on the last nine innings. Yeah, and that's I've talked about it with somebody before on the show, but a little bit of because I do think it's it's happened somewhat over the last few years. And we call it the the footballization of, of baseball. You know, every game, mm-hmm. is, you know, if you lose a game, oh my goodness, you know, the season's over. And I think we've ridden that roller coaster sound partly because we are so focused, partly because we can watch every game. You know, you and I grew up in that era where, you know, especially didn't see all everything um, and didn't follow it as intently. I just couldn't. But yeah, I think this is a team that I think it's going to have to really find a gear before people stop kind of rolling that roller coaster because, you know, if they can, and, and they're getting there because they've won what, eight of 12 or something like that, or um, that sounds right. somewhere in that area. You know, you start winning like that, then the losses don't mean as much. It's when you're win two and then you lose two and then you, you know, you win one, lose two. And, you know, you're just kind of floating back and forth that I think people are like trying to get a grasp of what this team is and they can't do it. But when they continue to win on a regular basis, then you can maybe put those losses back aside a little bit, a little easier. They're still going to, it's still going to be a little bit of that uh, sky. It's, it's cracked. It may not be falling, but it's cracked a little bit. Um, But, yeah, you're right. I think this is a team that, you know, Dylan Carlson goes out on rehab assignment today. Tyler O'Neill's gone out on one today, I think, as well. Those both could be back by the end of this week. And if they get going, I mean, this offense scored 14 runs today, and it wasn't a fluke, right? I mean, it wasn't like, oh, wow, this is a week's worth of games or runs. This is a team that can do this on a regular basis if – you know, if everything's going well and you add those two pieces to the lineup and it's even more likely. Yeah. I mean, you have Paul Goldschmidt who is basically Pujols like right now. Yeah. Um, in that old, you feel like Pujols, not the new Pujols. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> the old Pujols. Um, I, I mean, he's Paul Goldschmidt. What I mean by Pujols like is, Paul Goldschmidt right now is putting up, uh, he's batting like 350 with like a 430 on base. And I think I looked like a 630 slugging. That was like a season, that was like a full season for Albert Pujols. Uh, right. Uh, his first 
eight or nine seasons with the Cardinals. Um, so that's what I mean by that. And he just kind of has that aura where you feel like something's good, something good is going to happen when he comes up to the plate, especially when there's runners on. Um, like today, I mean, he, the that home run early really felt like it kind of changed the tone of the game. Uh, but yeah, this is... I And I, I think to go back what I said earlier about like the recency bias thing, um, my main point with that is bottom line, this is a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if we know how good they are yet, but it, I can't make a case for them being bad. Uh, at this point last year, you could, you could easily make a case for them being bad. Right. Uh, even though they're right around 500, they looked very sloppy. And I, I, I think last year, if I recall, through like 60 games, they had like a negative something run differential, which was not something we were used to seeing with the Cardinals. Like they just looked like a bad baseball team. Uh, even though this time, this team, you know, will, will lose a game and, and totally what you said about the uh, footballization, I forget what you called it. Um, you know, I've heard the... Uh, uh, ben Humphrey make that point as well, mm-hmm. and I, I I think it's totally spot on. Um, but even when we're, we're going through that, you know, and thinking like, oh, great, here we have that team that's only going to win 86 or 87 games. Well, you know, 86 or 87 games is not the worst thing in the world, um, and we're treating that like it's this team's floor. So th- this is a good team. I think it just remains to be seen how, how good they can be, and, you know, a lot of that will – depend on how healthy they're going to be. Uh, obviously, Goldschmidt's not going to hit like this forever, but that doesn't mean there aren't other scary players on this team who have not started hitting yet. Uh, even though I was always kind of like a Tyler O'Neill doubter, I also don't think last year was just some outlier season. Uh, I, I don't think that's... I'm not expecting him to replicate that, but I'm not expecting him to be as poor of a hitter as he's been so far this year once he returns. Right. I mean, that could be a career year for Tyler O'Neill, but it's not going to be like Brady Anderson's career year, right? <laughs> <laughs> Stands out way above the, the everything yeah. else. <laughs> so uh, I, it's funny you brought up Brady Anderson. Do you, do you remember when we talked about him? Uh, I, I think – I don't think it was the last time I was on, but maybe the time before that. And I said the case for him not being on steroids is the fact that he hit 50 home runs and then never sniffed that number again. And I made the point of, look, if you were were on steroids, you would have just kept taking them because clearly it was working and they weren't testing them. Um, So, and and not to go off on a tangent here, uh, but I had to bring this up. I just got done reading a book called The 90s by Chuck Klosterman. Um, and he made that exact point about Brady Anderson. <laughs> I don't even remember why that season by Brady Anderson came up, other than the fact that it occurred in the 1990s. Right. Um, but yeah, he, he he made that exact point. And uh, I immediately was like, gosh, I hope no one read that because the book came out, I think, several months ago. I hope no one read that and then heard me and thought I was just like totally, uh, you know, <laughs> aping everything Chuck Klosterman wrote uh, on your podcast. But no, I, I, I felt good that I wasn't the only one to make that point. Yeah, it's, it's always nice when you have a when you have a thought and then you see somebody that 
should know what they're talking about. Um, kind of agree with you. Um, that's, 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 <laughs> that's very good to say. Uh, and I'm glad we, I gave you the opportunity to clear the air uh, on that <laughs> and make sure everybody's understanding that. Um, yeah, I was looking at when you talked about run differential for last year, I looked after June because June was that terrible month for the Cardinals, right? I mean, um, they were at a minus 42 uh, run differential uh, at the end of June. And going into probably this time last week, right? We kind of started to think, and I know we were saying that this team isn't bad, but we started to see that maybe this team was going to have some of those same pitching issues as last year, right? Um, Matt's goes down. Um, Hicks has gone down. Um, you didn't know what you're going to get out of, you know, people like Hudson. Um, it just felt like there were a lot of innings to cover. You got this doubleheader this week. Um, a lot of innings to cover and it just weren't sure how they were going to do it. Now, Adam Wainer goes seven, Dakota Hudson goes seven. Um, you know, the bullpen has had a number of longer stints so that you haven't had to burn the arms and it doesn't feel like that crunch is on them quite as bad as it was, but there was a chance that things could have started to go South. I think this week and they showed that I think to your point that they're not a bad team. They didn't let them. Well, let me ask you this. Are you worried about Miles Michaelis? <sighs> Last couple starts have been kind of shaky. He had that rough start in uh, against Milwaukee the other day. Uh, I feel like he gave up a couple runs in the start before that against Toronto. Um, now, to be fair, we're comparing him to who he was in like his first seven or eight starts All of right. the season, which uh, I think he had a sub two ERA. Um at that point, and now it's probably just a tick over three. Uh, and, uh, you know, FIP is nothing to be too concerned or upset about. I think it was last I checked right around like 3.41 or something like that. But I, I think what would concern me is that we need someone on this staff, at least while we don't have a Jack Flaherty, um, and you know, we're basically throwing, uh, what's tantamount to a bullpen game every five days. We do need someone on this staff who is just, who, who's not just like slightly better than average. Right. I mean, maybe not. I and mean, if they're going to score 14 runs a game, uh, I mean, they won't, but if they're going to just be able to pound the ball, then that'll certainly help. But they also gave up five runs a day. Um, that's a game you can easily lose if, if the bats are silent. And luckily they weren't today. If it was just today, I wouldn't worry about it. Because, you, you, again, we talk about how early in the game it felt like it was going to be one of those you know wild affairs. And it is weekly field. And the daytime especially, you kind of maybe ride off a little bit. The game against Milwaukee does is a little bit disturbing. Um but on the other side of that is the Cardinals who kind of held Milwaukee down for two or three days. And that's, you know, about the time they're going to blow up. I don't mm-hmm. worry about him yet because you're, like you said, he was so good after the Toronto game he, where he gave up three runs and six and two thirds innings, which is a quality start, but not where he had been uh, the first ones. His ERA was 196. His FIP was 313. So yeah, over the last two games, it's gone up, but it kind of feels like he's kind of, regressing to the mean, right? I mean, that he was pitching over his head to some degree the first bit. 
he's going to pitch bad for a couple games. He'll, then he may settle into that. I mean, if he can give you a quality start every time out, I think you take it. As much as you'd like to see him go into the seventh more, if you can get three and six, I think these bullpen, this bullpen has enough arms, especially when we're not throwing double headers in there, to probably cover that. Um, you know, that said, if they if they get in, they got into that situation, what last night I guess it was where it was okay. It's got to be Cody Whitley. It's got to be T.J. McFarland. It's got to be Nick Whitgren um, because we don't have any of the quote quote good relievers. So we got to use these other guys. Um, if they get into that situation too often, then that's going to be a problem. I mean, uh, you know, Whitley got sent down today, but um, those other two guys. And, you know, Drew Verhagen could be in there. He's looked okay. But still, if, if you start relying on those guys um, because you've kind of used Palente and, and Helsley and Gallegos too much, you're going to probably still get a little bit of that, you know, win two or three, lose one or two because you're just kind of sputtering along with your bullpen. Yeah. And I, t- I tell you what, that game against the Padres, it felt – like and I, I was listening to it on the radio. Uh, the, the game that uh, Whitley almost blew. Yeah, it started to remind me of that game last year against the Cubs, where I, I think Reyes coughed up five runs or oh, six runs yeah, in the yeah. in the ninth inning or something like that. And I was just like, please don't blow this game. Please don't blow this game. And I just felt like they were slowly blowing the game. There's nothing you know any of us could do about it. Um, and then they won, but you know, <laughs> but just with, barely. With, yeah, yeah, just barely because that ball easily could have left the park. Uh, all right, I mean, according to the radio, they made it sound like it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never actually saw the replay of it. Uh, but what I want to ask you is you brought up the quality star. Mm-hmm. We have before talked about how much we enjoy traditional baseball stats, uh, whether it's batting average, RBI. Uh, even though I, I I like the new stats as well, better, in fact, because I feel as though they give me a better idea of the type of player we're talking about. But I still enjoy the old stats, mm-hmm. too. The, the, ba- the back of a baseball card stats. What, what, what are your thoughts on the quality start? Because I, I have opinions on the quality start, but I want to hear yours first. I think, in general especially when the quality start first came up, it felt like that's, that's it. (laughs) You know I mean? That's kind of low standards nowadays. Boy, I think if uh, it just, I think it means something a little bit more now because you don't have pitchers going six innings or more. And, you know, I, if you, I think the innings is more important than maybe even the runs. Um, I, I, I like it in the, in the, you know, shorthand type of thing while realizing that, you know what, that's still like a 450 ERA and it's not probably as quality as it should be. Right. Like the worst quality start you can have is, is what you just said. You can give up three runs in six innings and still qualify for a qual- for a quality start, even though that's an ERA at a 4.50, which uh, in almost any era would not be considered very good. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I will say in defense of the quality start. If you remove your starting pitcher after six innings and he's given up three runs, um, three earned runs, and let's say like 
the there hasn't been any unearned runs. So so the other team has three runs. Um, even if you have zero runs, you're still in position to win that game. You're you're not dead and buried. Uh, right. And if you've managed to score a run or two, then you're obviously in a very good position to to potentially win the game. Uh, so it's it's not a guaranteed loss at that six inning mark if your pitcher has allowed three or fewer runs. So that's the first thing I'll say. The second thing I'll say is. It's called a quality start. It's not called, holy crap, what an amazing start or excellent start or whatever. It's just called a quality start, which is not that much better than, that's eh, a pretty good start. It's, it's okay. It's an okay start. I, I feel like quality start is just slightly above that. So I'm, I've always been fine with it because it's never... Well, like someone, sometimes people say like, oh, quality start. He gave up three runs. Like, yeah, it was okay. He, he did, he did fine, I guess. Probably he could have done better, but he didn't, you know, uh, allow nine runs across the plate either. It was a quality start. So those are the two things I'll say about the quality start. Both, uh, uh, I, I guess, colloquially, I think it's okay and just on its face, I think it's a fine term to describe what a pitcher has done. Now, maybe it's too broad because uh, it doesn't separate anything. You know, if you go eight innings and give up zero runs, that's also a quality start, which is a very different start from six runs, from, excuse me, from six innings and three runs. But be that as it may, I'm fine with the quality start. I'm also fine <laughs> knowing it doesn't really tell you a lot <laughs> on it on its face, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. So you would say a quality is, would you say, I think, I think you would, that a quality start is more indicative of what a pitcher is than like the win, but not necessarily. Oh, uh, yeah. Like if I had to rank, um, yeah, that's a good question. Like, yeah, you're like the win is very uh, close to the bottom. Yeah. So it's like, the win, the quality start, and then, gosh, what would you put above? What would you put above that? I mean, then I then you're just looking at like numbers and stuff. Yeah, then you're. Uh, just, yeah, there isn't really anything other than just like, well, he, you know, he struck out this many and allowed this many runs in this many innings. We don't really have any names for things after that. Uh, and even though on some level, I, I, I like. I was about to say I do enjoy a pitching win. I'm not sure I do. Uh, even as a little kid, I always thought it was silly that a starting pitcher could pitch four and two thirds, um, and let's say not even pitch that poorly, and then a relief pitcher could come in and throw ten pitches and get the win, um, while the starting pitcher was ineligible. Uh, that never made much sense to me. Um, so it's always been a silly stat, and and I think we recognize that and i think it's kind of a stat that's going you, you know it, we've always kind of adjusted our thoughts on the pitching wind on the pitching wind as time has gone on right like with cy young like how many win, how many games did cy young win for instance like 500 511 yeah okay that's right so he won 511 games and by the time you and i were 
were born and, and watching baseball, the idea of someone winning 500 games was ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, that the new 500 was 300, I guess. Right, right. Um, or th- whatever. Uh, and, and now w- we might be shifting to the idea that winning 300 games is, is ludicrous. I don't think we're quite there like 500 fell in the 80s, but it might not. We might not be that far away from there. But that doesn't mean like, for instance, did Pedro Martinez win 300 games? I don't think he did. Ah, no, no, I don't. Yeah. I don't but, but really he, Well, I'm going to look it up right now while I'm talking. But but you would never look at Pedro and think of him anything other than a top-tier first ballot Hall of Famer. No. Uh, so I, I also – so I don't mind the pitching win in that I think, for the most part, baseball fans know how to judge and know what it means. Yeah, Pedro won 219 games. Yeah, I thought it was pretty low. Uh, I was looking. It looks like Maddox and Clemens are probably the, the 300 game winners. And Glavin, Glavin hit Randy, Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson hit 303. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I think that. I mean, I think now you probably are are getting to where 300. I I don't know that we'll see another 300 game winner. Do you? I mean, because people don't. I mean, but especially with the way that bullpens are used and five-man rotations and all that kind of stuff, you know, it, it feels like, and, and again, we don't look at the wins as much, but it feels like it, you have trouble getting people to 20 wins in a season, whereas, you know, I know you and I can remember, you know, what Bob Welsh and what was it, mm-hmm. 90 or something? 20, that 27. 27. Yeah, yeah, 27. And almost every year you had 22, 23, 24 um, and you need a lot of those kind of seasons just to get to 300. You can't do it on, I mean, I think we're going to see where 250 is probably going to be that, you know, hall of fame type numbers. And, you know, and there may come a point where 200 is not, it's not like that automatic induction number because, but I think if you can get to 200 to 250, it, it gives your t- career that same kind of maybe cachet that 300 or more did back in the in the 80s and 90s didn't bob welsh wasn't for a while there was a uh, i mean there was like a 30 win watch almost for mm-hmm. a little bit i i could be misremembering that but i i do feel as though that was on the table and then and then maybe by the all-star break it was pretty clear that wasn't going to happen um trying but yeah it. no i i mean wh- what do you look at when when you're thinking about a pitcher because I'll, I'll tell you wh- when I'm looking at a pitcher's season, I, I have like for instance, I have no idea how many games Adam Wainwright won last year, but I know he pitched over 200 innings, and I know he had an ERA um, th- that was right around three. And his, I'm trying to remember, was his fielding independent pitching was uh, was a little higher, I, I know, but. But for the most part, the, the, what I look at is usually just innings pitched and and ERA. And, and sometimes it depends on the pitcher. Sometimes I'm looking at strikeout rate, walk rate, things like that. But for the most part, I, I want to see how many innings they're giving you. Because like you said earlier, that's that's something that's kind of important now for, for starting pitchers. And if you have a guy who can go 175 innings, let alone 200, then that's that's pretty valuable in this day and age, let alone, um, you know, let alone if 
what their ERA is. And the fact that Wainwright was so good at run prevention last year at the age he was, um, those are the things that stick out to me and not, well, I'm going to look it up right. Uh, he Okay. He won 17 games last year. I, I, I would have said it was like 13. If you had asked me, I would not have even guessed that high, but I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I think I would have probably been in that ballpark, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I know stats in general as much as I used to, especially back when I was doing fantasy baseball and you know, you had to keep up with that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's almost more of, you know, I look them up at the end of the year and sometimes I'm surprised at how well they did and sometimes, but you, you get a feel for with the Cardinals, especially, you know, when we're watching them and we're talking about them on a regular basis, we kind of know Adam Wainwright had a good year and, you know, in the ballpark of where he was at, like you said, you know, the ERA and stuff of that nature. But could I go back and quote any of the stats? No, I don't think I could. Um, I just have to. You know, that's what baseball references for, right? <laughs> to, to pull it back up and, and look. By the way, Bob Welsh had 13 wins at the All-Star break in 1990. So I don't know if they ever had much of a watch on him. It looks like he, one, two, three, four, five. He got six wins in August and uh, looks like another five in September. So he put him up in the second okay. half. So I'm, I'm just making up memories. Then. Well, somebody did have some sort of watch at one point in time, but. It wasn't, it wasn't that one. I do think I remember somebody talking about 30 wins. That's just, I mean, that's just insane to think about now, right? I mean, people don't make, barely make 30 starts. Can you imagine back, what, was it Denny McLean the, in 68, that won 30 games? I, yeah. You know, the, the idea of doing that is, I mean, there's, there's so many records now that we kind of took for granted a little bit back when we were growing up um, that, you know, you look at it now, it's like they'll never, ever happen again. I mean, we talk about 3,000 hits, right? I mean, who's the closest, who's the next person that gets 3,000 hits, do you think, now that Miguel Cabrera has gotten it? Um, hmm. You know, I was thinking about this not that long ago. And I first thought of Bryce Harper only because, you know, Trout's had a few injuries Lately, mm-hmm. and I thought maybe Bryce Harper would be a better candidate. Um, but then I remembered, well, after I looked it up, I remembered, oh, yeah, well, Bryce Harper's, you know, been, been injured before, too. And I was shocked at how few of hits he had for for how great of a player he is and how, um, you know, long he's been playing now. You know, he's been in the league now. This is, what, his 11th season? Um, and I'm telling you right now he has uh, – Gosh, he has thirteen. He has just over thirteen hundred hits. Yep. So he's not halfway there. Um, well, I mean, I'm looking at this list right here, and I mean, you've got a guy like Joey Votto, who right, he's been productive for well, he's you know sixteen years in the in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. A guy you would think he's just barely over two thousand, two thousand and forty seven. Well, after Pujols and Cabrera, who's who's next on the active list? Who's third? Well, yeah. the active, it's um depends on how you wanted to term active after this <laughs> week. Because third was Robinson Cano okay. at 2,635. 2, so okay. he's still 370 hits away from that. And, 
you know, he's not. Fourth, Yadier Molina, 2,137. You're kidding uh, me. Then Wait, Joey Votto, tell- then Nelson Cruz, who, again, another guy that you would think, I've been around forever. He's got less than 2,000. Well, Mike Trout has about 1,500, and mm-hmm. he is in his what, age 31 season. It's not impossible. No. I mean, I would think he's probably the most likely to do it. Manny Machado is in his 29, age 29 season. He's got about 10 or 15. It looks like about 20 hits more than Mike Trout does. Okay. That's a good, that's a, that's a good candidate who I would not have thought of. Okay. Yeah. Machado and Trout. And then, boy, I don't, you know, after that, I don't, I mean, Nolan's at 1400, but he's 31, you know, um, yeah, Harper. I, I, you know, some of these young guys coming up, and you think, yeah, okay, but you know, it's what two hundred hits a year, and who gets two hundred hits a year anymore? Um, it's you know, especially in this day and age where we're talking about the single being almost almost obsolete. I mean, who's getting who's getting two hundred hits anymore? You know, I guess because I never look at that stat anymore like I used to. I don't even know. Like, like what led the league in hits last yeah, season? I'm trying to poke around here and see. Um, I love that we always end up looking at this, this <laughs> stuff that no one, no one has cared about for 15 years. But I, but I still care about it. Dang it! Last year, Trey Turner led the majors with 195. Okay, so, so, but you know, you have to do. What three thousand divided by one hundred ninety five? That's fifteen years of that to get to three thousand yeah. plus, and that's that's hard. That's hard. You to have do. to be a player who's who's in the majors early. So someone like Trout or Machado or Harper certainly, right. and you have to have longevity, right? Uh, and help. Yeah. What? Well, why? What, why it seemed that you know I, I understand why the pitching win is going extinct. I don't quite understand as much about why the. I mean, I, I guess I do. I you know the batting average is down. Um, you know, it's more about the three true outcomes are are bigger than it used to be in the sport. Um, so so I guess I understand it a little bit, but it, it does surprise me that. Yeah, we don't have we don't have quite have players like that anymore. Yeah, it, it is, but yeah, I'm looking at. I mean, the the top guys are still hitting a decent average. I mean, I'm just kind of pull up the top ten, you know, for the last ten or fifteen years, they're all hitting in the three thirty, three forty, three fifty range for the most part. So it's not. It's just it feels like they have to have a really good year to do that, and that they don't there's not the Tony Gwynn that does it every year. It's a guy that can do it maybe once. Well, you know, like Trey Turner, number one last year, fifth the year before, which is not bad. Um, and then doesn't even show up in 19, which he may have been, I don't remember if he was, was hurt or, or whatever. Um, you know, a guy that is not on the list for this year right now. So, you know, again, for that consistency, it, it's, it's a different game. 
and I know we, you know, this is what happens when you get you know, two children of the eighties together to talk about what baseball was back then and what it is now. I'm not saying it's worse or anything. It's just, it's different. I mean, you, you, those are, we have to start adjusting those mindsets of saying, you know, those, those numbers that we knew 300 wins, 3000 hits, you know, that gets you in the hall of 500 home runs, get you in the hall of fame. That's not the case anymore. And, you know, I think that makes an interesting case for somebody like Adam Wainwright. I don't think he gets voted in with the owner the uh, writers, but I think when it comes down to the, the players and, you know, maybe if he pitches another year, maybe it's even a, a long-term thing with the writers, but I think, Wainwright may have a case for the, for Cooperstown that I didn't think he would have and he wouldn't have when you compare him to, you know, even 10 years ago. Definitely didn't think he was going to have a case three or four years ago. And in fact, when I was looking at his page earlier, you know, just to prove our point about the pitching win in 2000, I think 18, when he was not a very good pitcher, he, his win loss record was 12 and five. Uh, I, I think it was that year, either that year, 2017. Um, but I said to someone else, if he has a similar season this, this year as he did last year, then I think we can start taking that talk seriously. Um, not that he is a Hall of Famer, but that it can at least be debated intelligently. Um, and that he, he's the type of player who deserves to have that discussion. Uh, you know, you mentioned the players. Um, I could see him getting a little bump from the writers, and maybe this is me misjudging what the writers care about, but I could see him getting a bump from the writers because when you look at his baseball reference page or whatever page, all you see under team is St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's something that can give a player like Wainwright that extra boost that they might need to get in the Hall of Fame if their numbers leave them a bit short. Uh, I, I think he is short of the Hall of Fame um, as it stands right now, and I think he'll probably still be a bit short after this season as well, too. Um but I don't know if that you know if that paradigm has shifted a little bit. If I'm judge even judging it correctly, uh, so we'll see. He will definitely have one of the more interesting cases, that's for sure, because he's going to have, like I just said, that you know, unless something very unforeseen happens, he's going to have a career with one team, which we we know that people like, or at least I think people still like. He's going to have big moments. Uh, attached to him, like for instance, um, the uh, this the strikeout of Beltran. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to have a uh, you know postseason accolades. Uh, he, he was on a World Series winning team. He threw the last pitch of a of a World Series. So he has kind of like those other things that kind of help with that extra oomph get you over the finish line if you need it. So we'll see. What do you think he'll he'll get in? It's difficult to say that he would get in. Like I said, he's not a first ballot or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's interesting when you talk about the getting a bump with the writers. I thought you were saying you're about to say because of his personality, um, which well, and I don't think that's trivial. I, I think you know it helps that he's a a pretty beloved guy who has won you know the Roberto Clemente Award um, as well. Uh, so 
that certainly doesn't hurt him. I think we can at least say that. You know, I think that if Jack Morris can get in and Jim Cox can get in, that there's a path for Adam Wainwright to get in. Again, it may be it may be players voting for this, but you know, he goes out. You know, he pitches to forty, which is something. Longevity is like we said. Yeah. Um, he pitches. Uh, assuming this is assuming things don't just wheels don't pull off. He pitches maybe better in the last half of his career or last few years of his career than he does in the middle part. He obviously learned how to pitch, you know, he's doing it by <coughs> craft, which is always, you know, I think gives you bonus points sometimes for people. Maybe it shouldn't, but I think people will give you like, if you're throwing 95 and striking people out, that's one thing. But if you're throwing, you know, 82 and um, still throwing shutouts, then I think people like that a lot. Give a little bit of credit to that. Um, I think if he could wind up and he's at, he's at 189 wins. And again, that's not those benchmarks are not what they used to be, but I think if he got to 200 wins um, and he kept his ERA under, let's see, his career ERA is now three thirty-four. He kept his ERA under three and a half. Um, you know, his ERA plus for his career is 120. Uh, you know, I, there's worse people in. Um, and I think that again, it's, it's a kind of a guy that somebody, if somebody takes him up as a case, uh, you know, one of the, you know, and starts, you know, the sabermetric case for Adam Wainwright, you know, he may be a guy that gets in on ballot 11 or 12 or whatever, you know, one of those late ballots. Um, and he sneaks in. I, I don't know. I don't, I think, like I said, a couple years ago, um, it just didn't feel like he could do it, but the way he's turned it around the last couple of years and giving him that little, you know, a few more counting stats and a, a few more, a few more memories, I, I wouldn't rule it out. No, definitely can't rule it out. And, and I think that's the, the main point, right? Is that there is a discussion to have. And, um, I think before it used to be the discussion was he's going to be in the hall of very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had to really squint to make that hall of fame case. Uh, and you, you don't necessarily have to squint anymore. You just have to really, really litigate it. You have to, you have to really argue it. You have to really explain why his uh, body of work is, is worthy of the hall of fame. And, and you brought up a few reasons uh, just a second ago, and uh, those being Jim Cat and like pitchers like Jack Morris. Um, <laughs> the funny thing about Jack Morris is when that debate used to come up every year, mm-hmm. I, I always felt kind of bad for Jack Morris because <laughs> I didn't think he was a Hall of Famer, but it always felt like people who didn't think he was a Hall of Famer, like you also had to kind of like basically insult him. Um, yeah. And I was like, well, that, you know, like we don't need to treat him like a jerk just because we don't think his stats are good enough to be a Hall of Famer. But then I found out he was kind of a jerk. So I, so, so I stopped feeling bad about it. Um, now, I, I don't know if he's still a jerk now, but in his playing days, he was a huge jerk. Uh, there's uh, just the way he treated uh women reporters um and there's there's plenty of stories like that that could uh kind of fill an article um (laughs) so so once i found that out i was like all right i I, this no longer really bothers me that like it almost 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's right when I found that out, I was like right when he got in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> so. yeah, of course, of course. Um, so before we get done, and we've, again, wandered down the some pathways I don't think we expected, but um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit on the other side of, of the equation of, of the young guys that have come up. We've referenced them, we've talked about them a little bit, but we're finally getting to see Nolan Gorman um, and it feels like, you know, I was a little bit, I think everybody was concerned that he's going to come up and, you know, it's going to take him a while to adjust and he was going to strike out a lot and maybe not be the, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of maybe not be able to live up to expectations. Um, so far, you know, he came out, he did well, he struggled then in the middle. He seems to have made the adjustments and boy, when that power is on, it's, it's incredible to watch. Yes, yeah, so you didn't. You said you didn't watch the game today. You didn't see his yeah, home run. I didn't, I didn't see it. I've, I've, I've kind of, I've seen a clip of it. I think, and it looked very nice. So I, I was watching the game on my computer while I was working, and so I just happened to have the screen um, minimized at the time, so I could hear it, but I wasn't watching because I was, mm-hmm. again, I was doing something for work. But I heard it. It <laughs> what you could hear it, and then I quickly, because based on. Dan McLaughlin's reaction, I quickly brought the screen up and saw where the ball was landing, just as I saw where the ball was landing, which was very high up in the Wrigley Field bleachers. In fact, I think Edmonds made a comment that, like, you know, if they're going to throw it back, they might have to have a cutoff man in the bleachers. Um, That's how far he hit it. Uh, it, It's very exciting, Uh, especially when you think about the fact that he's a second baseman. Uh, Because if, if you can get just passable defense from him at second base, uh, you know, decent defense from him at second base. And we have a guy who can hit a ton, then, then that is very, very big. Uh, and it's just exciting because like what you said, prospects don't often do this. Uh, whether it's Mike Trout, whether it's Dylan Carlson, whether it's, you know, so the gamut from like the best players to like good players to whoever, they don't normally come out of the gate like say JD Jew did, or mm-hmm. you know we're more used to seeing, um, gosh, uh, yeah yeah I, I think we're more used to seeing kind of like what Dylan Carlson did or right. I'm trying to think who else would come to mind. Um, oh, Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, I mean Tyler O'Neill is a tough one because it felt like. You know, we never felt like we saw him for long stretches. True. It, it was kind of more like, okay, he's up again, um, and then he would be back down or or on the bench or, or whatever. Um, I think Colton Wong was the same way, though, because we expected him to be good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Even though Col- Colton Wong, I, I think, was always more of a, like, you know, look, we're not expecting this guy to necessarily, you know, slug 500 or mm-hmm. – um, do this, do that. We expect him, or even like get on base at uh, 400 clip. We just expected him to, geez, 400 clip, or, or even at like 350. We just expected him to uh, be a slightly above average hitter and be a good fielder. And then he was a slightly, he turned himself into a slightly above average hitter and was a great fielder. Um, so yeah, in that way, he eventually exceeded our our expectations, or at least mine. But you're right. Like, yeah, we don't often see guys jump out of the gate like we've seen 
Gormandu uh, and uh, Juan Yepes, um, although, you know, slightly to a lesser extent, but still he's, he's hitting very well. And, yeah. And I mean, Donovan, uh, he, Donovan reminds me of like, he looks like a guy who had been cast as like a baseball player in the eighties <laughs> in, in a movie or, or, or something. Um, and I'm not positive, uh, and, and Kyle, maybe Kyle would yell at me for saying this. I really don't know, because I've said before, I'm just not as much of a prospects guy. I'm, I'm just not as informed on that side of the ball as I should be. So I'm not positive if Donovan is going to be that good. But I love watching him. <laughs> There's something about him that I, I just love watching him play. Um uh, he walks. He can play everywhere. He's just a fun guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's been, I think, you know, the other guys are going to get a lot of the headlines and a lot of the of the focus. Um, but, yeah, there's something to Donovan. And I think Donovan is... And I, again, I think he's kind of like Tommy Edmond, right? Um, that same kind of guy that's come up and is going to be able to play everywhere and produce more than you necessarily expected. I know, you know, again, you're right. Kyle has been banging the the Donovan drum for quite some time, but even so, I mean, you know, he's not been on anybody's except for Kyle's top prospect list or anything like that. You don't expect him to be an All Star type caliber player, but he has come in and you know, just been everything that they needed. Um, you know, can he keep it up? I hope so. And we'll, we'll see. Um, because I think, you know, what, three or four years ago, we wondered if Tommy Edmund can keep it up. And, you know, for the most part, I know he's not necessarily, you know, especially if you listen to the off day guys, you, you know, that he's not necessarily um, been Lee, even league average, but I think he's filled in and been a valuable part of, of the last couple of teams, whether he's been used right or not, maybe it's a different story. Um, and Donovan has that opportunity to do that as well. And, and I think the flexibility that he brings that Edmonds brings, it's just the fact that we don't have to see that. We, I don't want to say have to, the, you know, Ollie Marmol could put up whatever lineup he wants to pretty much because he can just shift pieces around and really work it. And it feels like that's what they're doing this year. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, and Gorman, if I recall, about three years ago, we were all very excited about him because of how quickly he got out of the gate in, gosh, where would he have been to start off? Peoria, uh, I guess. I think, I think so. Was, yeah. And, and then he was kind of started to get overshadowed by Carlson. And mm-hmm. and Carlson was the one hitting hitting the cover off the ball, and Carlson was the one who to make his debut way before Gorman. Um, and I, I don't want to say like the average fan kind of forgot about Gorman, but I think that almost happened at least as as it when compared to Carlson. So it's nice to see him, you know, may finally arrive here and also still be hitting, you know, be hitting like this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, Gorman may wind up, I mean, obviously he's going to make a name for himself and he has, but it's interesting because you're right. They had Carlson before him 
and now everybody's going to start focusing on George Walker, you know, and when has he come up? I mean, Gorman has a chance to be kind of this forgotten man that's going to hit like 40 home runs. Um, so it is, it is interesting to see how we, how we look at these guys, but um so I, are, are we? Have we all forgiven Jeff Albert? Do, do we not have to talk about that anymore? Um, it depends. I mean, tomorrow when they don't put up any runs, then we have to talk about <laughs> it again. So <laughs> I think that's the way it goes. I think that's the um, the Twitter contract that we've all made. Um, yeah, I think you know. Again, it does feel right. It's not nobody's going to be able to put up you know six runs a, every single day or anything like that. But it feels like between what the Cardinals are doing at the major league level, what they've been doing through the minors, that this program of Alberts does seem to start, you know, to start to bear fruit. And it's not going to work for everybody, but it seems to be working for most people. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you may not have wanted to actually get into the Albert conversation, which is fine. <laughs> I think we've, you know, it's it's a conversation that gets had enough although you know there's also going to be some there's some of that this weekend with matt carpenter hitting home runs in um, new york you know and it's like well why wasn't he doing that here uh, now I daniel i don't know if you know this but you know he hit one not that long ago as in like in the last hour yes yes okay, um, okay. yeah he's got what is that is that his fourth one right fourth maybe not the last hour but like the last two hours right Right. Since we started recording this, probably, I think, or somewhere in that regard. Um, Yeah. I mean, which is, I mean, one, he was starting to hit for Texas. But I think, again, for anybody that wants to try to start, you know, casting aspersions, Matt Carpenter has admitted he did not listen to anybody. Well, it was it was when he got, you know, the contract ran out and he wasn't getting any any job offers that he started to go out and revamp his swing and do the things that he probably should do. So. I don't know that you can lay that one at the feet of, of Jeff Albert and trying to make him do something he wasn't supposed to do. I'm going to put you on the spot. How many career hits you may have looked at it earlier, mm-hmm. but how many career hits do you think Matt Carpenter has? I didn't look Ex- at it excluding his game tonight with the Yankees. Cause I don't have right. it. And um, although I think he also singled tonight too. So yeah, he finally got a hit that wasn't a home run. Um, it was, it was somebody, and I'll get to your question in a minute, but somebody they put out that spray chart like yesterday and it had, you know, his hits, which are the three home runs that are out there. And it reminded me of this spray chart from, I think it was two years ago, late, <laughs> late, like April where he had a bunt single and a home run, you know, that was it. So, um, I'm going to say he has, I kind of feel like he got to a thousand. I'm going to say 1,122. Wow. Okay. You almost nailed it. I think I would have guessed now this is before I would have found out that some of the, how low some of the other people were, but I think I would have Mm -hmm. guessed around 1,400, Um, but it's actually uh, 1,156. Wow. Um, I was close. So Um, maybe 1,158 since we know he homered in single tonight. So he's moving on up, but. But he's he's got a long way to go to three thousand. I don't think he's going to make it. No, and I agree. I think that I probably, if we hadn't had this discussion, might have guessed a little higher um, as well. Um, it's it's just, and hopefully he does well. Um, mm-hmm. It would be nice to see Carpenter have a little bit. He's kind of messing with his Cardinal Hall of Fame induction year because now that he's playing some more, I think next year's David Freeze, and then. 
you know, he might be able to squeeze in between Yachty and Wainwright. Or what is, <laughs> I should know this, but I don't. Is there any sort of like rules on waiting period before you're eligible? Three years. Three, three years, years after retirement, okay. you're okay. eligible. That's why Holiday went in this year because he played those, you know, that what the year with the Yankees and the year with Colorado or whatever, but it's been three years. And it's like into the third season, I think, maybe. I'm not sure, but somewhere in there. What moment, or maybe there wasn't in a, a specific moment, but when do you think Cardinal fans started to almost unanimously love Matt Holiday? Because it wasn't always like that. Mm-mm. He was very much overshadowed with Pujols here. So uh-huh. it had to be after 11. And, and I think the the error in 2009 that right. would have won, that, won, what, game two against the Dodgers? Yeah. Um, that hurt. And then getting picked off at third in the 2011 World Series, that was third base, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and then... I believe hurting himself on the same play. So not even yeah. playing in game seven, seven. And part of him getting hurt was, you know, Alan Craig then was able to come into the game and Homer and right. Do well, so it, yeah. it, I think it almost made him feel a little absent almost for, for that mini, for that part of the run, though, the last couple of games, even though, um, you know, that's certainly unfair because, you know, it, right. it took everybody to get them to those 90 wins and, and get into the playoffs. Um, is it 2013? Yeah, I'd say either 13 or 14. I mean, looking at yeah. that, he, he got MVP votes both years. He was, you know, 14th and in 14. Um, you're far enough into that. Because 12, you still had Berkman. You had Beltran come in. Um, you had the new shiny things. Um, I think it took, yeah, you get into 13 and 14 and, and by that point in time, he's been here for, you know, five years or so. And just been that solid guy. They start doing homers for health around that time, I think, um, which gave a little bit of off the field stuff to him. Mm-hmm. I, I would say it's probably there. And it, it's amazing that it's amazing to see where he was in, you know, 2009, 2010, uh, to where he was, you know, wherever there wasn't a dry eye in the house when he, you know, retires in 16. So or leave St. Louis in 16. Right. Uh, and, and that's, that's one of those, uh, I think it was against the pirates that opposite field home run, which we thought that was going to be his last at bat ever with the Cardinals. I think he had one more after that. Yeah. He like, doubled in uh, the next day. He doubled in, I think it was a double, maybe it was a single drove in a run, drove in a game, yeah. a, a game winning run maybe. And then he played on Sunday, but just enough to, you know, send him out there, get a, applause and bring it back out so right um it's sad what you remember (laughs) you know (laughs) like i can still remember that weekend uh more than i more than i can remember a lot of other things um and so it's a it's a strange thing um yeah i all all in all this is a exciting team to watch um do you have any predictions about the next, you know, the rest of this Cubs series? Um, because, you know, I know, I know how important it is to, to put down predictions so we can see how wrong we are. Well, remind me again, why there's a doubleheader scheduled in this series when we haven't even played them again this year. Is it because of be- the, the lockout? 
Yeah. Yeah. There were the two games that the Cubs, there was only a two game series that the Cardinals missed because of that week, that first week. And so the okay. one made up now and one's made up in uh, next month, I think when they go another, another four game series, it turns into a five gamer. Yeah. Well, um, Look, it's playing the Cubs at Wrigley. You don't ever want to count on anything, even against a crummy Cubs team like this. But we're going to have maybe Woodford on, Woodford scheduled to pitch tomorrow. So is Oviedo. Is that right? Actually, um, Oviedo and Palante, I think, are going to start. I think Woodford will be available, though. I mean, he's going he's gonna to piggyback one of those guys, probably. Okay. Okay. So... I don't know. They, if they can get a split tomorrow, I'll be happy. And then to have Wainwright take the ball on Sunday to hopefully uh, take three of five in this series. That that's what I would I would like to see. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Um, it's very difficult to sweep a doubleheader um, for either side, and then you got to like your you got to like your chances with Wainwright, especially in a night game at Wrigley. I think you can get. You can get behind that. So, and I think well, if they can come out of this series, you know, like I said winning three of five, then you, I think that's just onward and upward for this team. Right, and you know, a- after they play the Cubs, I think they go to Tampa, mm-hmm. um, but then they have six games at home with the Reds and Pirates. So, yeah, it's good to know we still have lots of games against the Cubs, Reds, and Pirates this year. Yeah, yeah, and then. They go to Boston. Um, they get four with Brewers, and then they turn around and play the Cubs and the Marlins to end the, end the month. I mean, you know, that's one of those things that's been pointed out that the Brewers haven't played a lot of bad teams, and the Cardinals have, you know, or have played a lot of bad teams. The Cardinals have not. Um, you know, the Cardinals should be two games out after tonight. I think the Padres were winning five to nothing last I looked over the Brewers. Um, I mean, schedule-wise, you like what the Cardinals are doing. You don't, you'd rather them be first place, but given given what's coming up and the fact that they haven't necessarily been all healthy and and all that, I mean, this still feels like like we've kind of said it doesn't feel like a team that's out of it at all. It feels like a oh team that, oh, no, I I think this team could absolutely win the division. I'm not convinced yeah. the Brewers are better than them. Uh, yeah. I, I'm also not convinced that the that they aren't. It, it just, we still have a lot to see. And I think I said before, I thought at the end of last year, the Cardinals were actually a better team than the Brewers. Uh, right. But the Brewers rightfully won the division because they had been the better team for the entire season. Uh, but, but yes, I, I could easily see the Cardinals still winning this division. Um, it, it already feels like a two team race, uh, which is kind of rare this early. Um, even when you know it's probably going to shake out that way, it's still very rare to not have at least one team kind of hanging around that you that you're not expecting to be there and you expect to fade. Uh, that's not really happening right now. Um, but but yeah, yeah, this team can absolutely win this division. It's interesting. I don't know much about this, but Baseball Reference in their standings, they have a, a SRS, the Simple Rating System this little number right next to the standings that uh, is apparently the number of runs per game. The team is better or worse than an average team. The Cardinals mm-hmm. are up 0.9, which is well ahead of the, the Brewers 0.5, even though they're, you know, and I think there's, you know, when you look at run differential and things of that nature, 
yeah, I mean, it feels like this this Cardinal team is kind of like as long as they can stay real close, that at some point in time it's going to catch. And yeah, games against the Pirates and the Reds and the Cubs only help that. Yeah, absolutely. And and I I think most of like the models still have the Brewers winning this division. Uh, you know, there's only what two games separating the two teams, but I yeah. But I think I was, I, I guess it depends on if the Brewers, you said they, they are losing, they're in the process of losing or they already lost. They, are, they were down five to nothing when I checked it a minute ago. Let me see what inning they are in. Uh, they are down six to nothing now. With okay. The Pir- Padres working on a no hitter after uh, seven and a half. Oh, no kidding. Maybe we should go turn up. Yeah. Turn that oh. up. And it's, it's Joe, Joe Musgrove throwing it, trying to try to get another one. Ah, good for him. Uh, but yeah, my, my point is like it could, the Cardinals could be just two games behind the Brewers, but I think most of the models still have the Brewers at like 90% chance to make the playoffs with the Cardinals closer to like 55 to 60% chance. Mm-hmm. So the models seem to believe in the Brewers a little more than the Cardinals, but I think the Cardinals, as I said earlier, are absolutely still in a good position to win this division. Lots of yep. baseball to play. Yeah, you're right. Going in as of right now, looking at fan graphs, they have the Brewers at 80.7 to win the division um, and almost a 43% chance to clinch a bye, um, whereas the Cardinals are at 19% to win the division, 38% for a wild card. So, mm. yeah, uh, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Those models, I'd be very interested just because it, I don't see that much difference between these two teams. So I don't know what, I mean, right now the Mets have a lower chance of winning the division than the Brewers do. And that just, that doesn't seem right to me. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but, um, oh, well, I, I know a good place to end. Okay. I just read, and maybe you already know this, Lane Thomas has hit three home runs today for the Washington Nationals. Mm-hmm. Did you know this? I saw that just a few minutes ago, yeah. <laughs> okay. The tweet's two hours old, so I, I, I assume most people know this by now. But, uh, okay. There you go, Lane Thomas. Yeah. Um, it's it's always interesting to see what those former Cardinals do, and sometimes we wish – sometimes you, you wonder if they could have done that if they were here, but – you know, Lane Thomas has kind of struggled, I think, since he's been out in Washington. It's glad that he's had a good day, but oh yeah, I, I don't, I don't miss. Uh, you know, there's been lots of players that we've seen leave, that we've traded, that I've missed. He's not one of them, and, and nothing necessarily against him, but the outfield is is in fine shape. Yeah, yeah, I think that's you know, again, if everyone, when everybody gets healthy, you like that, and then again, you know, this time next year we might be trying to figure out how you get Jordan Walker into that outfield. And that's, that's going to be an interesting conversation I think to have, especially if everybody's doing well, but that is for another time. Uh, we've run a little bit long tonight, but uh, it was good to talk with you, Alex, and uh, look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. As always, thank you for having me on. And yeah, I look forward to doing it again as well. All right. Well, uh, Alan is supposed to be back with me next week. It may be Saturday before we get a chance to record, but it looks like he will be back with us at least for a while. So until then, for Alex, I'm Daniel. Good night. Oh, one to pull. In the air, left field, and Pools has given St. Louis the lead. A dramatic, towering three-run
Stunned in disbelief here in Houston.